have a beautiful passage in Galatians to look at. So, uh, uh, just to get started with that, um, I want a little bit of uh, feedback from you when we think about this Galatians series. Um, much of what we are trying to do in this series is to recover our joy as Christians. And to do that, we are seeking to have our the functional way in which we live, the way we really live our days, sort of exposed to us, sort of revealed to us. And that takes some bravery on our parts, uh, takes some courage to look inside and to look at things like anger, um, your responses to people, if you're kind of prickly, if you're kind of defensive, um, it's hard to receive maybe critique or criticism. Um, some of these are indicators of, of, of how you're actually living, your functional, functional righteousness. Okay? So I want you to sort of track that idea, because I don't want to get ahead of us as we get into Galatians 4 this morning. Um, so your functional righteousness. So um, this might be sort of a curious topic, you hear, but it's really, really important that we think about it. So let me ask you, I'll give you one uh, sort of funny illustration, I don't know, I think it's funny, but, uh, you know, pastors with, with uh, if I show up at a pastor's lunch, okay, and I have a squeaky, clean, perfect, brand new Bible, that doesn't look good. Okay, you, what kind of Bible do you want to show up with? What, what kind of Bible would you, a pastor, want to carry into the lunch? What would it look like? Worn, used, lots of markings on it, ages missing, right? So there's a little technique you can do to to get your Bible. You have it around all your meals, first of all. Have it right next to your breakfast. You know, get some egg yolk on it. I mean, just 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 you know, look at it. Or put it on your dashboard of your car. And let the, let the UVs just hammer away at it. And it'll, it'll break in pretty quickly. Now, a, a way to talk about that is that would be called Bible righteousness. Does that make sense? You see how subtle that is? You're saying? That is, that's, a, that's an insecure pastor showing up, wondering if people are going to notice how I'm like, what will they think of me? I'll be a neophyte. I'll be brand new at this. And what will they think of me? And you might think that's kind of an odd thing, right? Like, some of you, uh, your personality is just, I don't care. I don't care. I have a brand new Bible. I'm proud of it. I'm glad. I, you know, which your your disposition in life is that you don't even think about those kind of things. That's it. So, uh, like, I was even self-conscious this morning. Should I wear my shirt out? Or should I tuck it in? What would church people think? You know, is this bad? Is this good? What's the prop? What's prop? Right? So, my orientation to life is it's very outwardly oriented. Now, and some of you are just maybe not wired that way, and um, I'm envious of you. Uh, so. Does that make sense, though, that, that idea that you're trying to attain and to look a certain way, okay? So, um, when, just backing up, um, Adam and Eve, um, when they partook of that fruit, um, they were seeking to become wise in their own eyes, right? Genesis 2 and 3, the warning there, don't take that. Uh, and so Satan comes in and says, well, look, this is actually going to be the way you'll be able to see things that you can't see now. And what happened to us is that we, we became detached from the source of our life, 
the source of all protection. So now we have the burden, the burden of carrying ourselves in this world, making sense of the world, of justifying ourselves. No longer is God our protection in that sense. No longer does God make us beautiful. We now are under the, the task of making our lives beautiful. Okay? So this is a heavy, heavy burden. This is a, this is a heavy burden. Now, one of the so I'll, I'll, if you would give me some feedback here, what are some of the uh, maybe ways? And you can even say I've seen people do this. It's not me. What are the ways that you've you've seen people seek after righteousness? That you know, is there something at your work that makes someone look really good? Or give me some. Give me some. I like to collect these things. By the way, I, I collect these thoughts of, of you know righteousness seeking. Does anyone want to give me some? What is tough to leave work early. Ooh, so you have late work righteousness, <laughs> right? Okay. What would be leaving too early? You leave before other people. Okay. <laughs> How many can identify with that? Is that right? Okay, good. Uh, you're kind of on your own. And you're not covered by the group thing. Right? You're not protected. Okay. I think there's a lot of mom righteousness. Okay. You know how well-being kids are, and you know, eat them organic when you're not. And you, I mean, just, there's so, a lot of issues. Yes. So diet righteousness. How do you feed your kids that, right? Okay. Right. 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 Someone else on that. Righteousness. Lawn righteousness. Lawn. Ooh. Lawn righteousness. Ooh, okay. You feel that, or do you have it? <laughs> my, my house is the only house in the neighborhood that has little kid toys. Oh. Just permanently. Okay. I do not have one righteousness. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Caretaker righteousness. Caretaker righteousness. Oh, wow. Okay. Is that 
we find other sources of security. We find other sources of identity that we have just habituated to. We just feel good about them. And they feel more familiar to us. So let me give you a picture of one. So like, let's say there's a, an argumentative, angry husband. Confirm anybody? Argumentative, angry husband. What he needs is not uh, a cooperative wife. He needs a cross. He needs a savior. He needs a redeemer. He needs someone who's in control of his life. Not himself. He needs good news. And he's never going to get it by a more organized home, a more organized wife, a more responsive wife, or whatever. He is not going to get it. But he, like me, I would bang my head against that wall for 10 years, convinced I can get what I need. And the cross feels fuzzy. It feels irrelevant. It's like, what on earth, preacher? That has nothing to do with my wife. And now what she's not doing for me, and the answer is it actually has everything to do with you and your heart and what you believe and what you are thinking you are righteous about. And you need this desperately. You just are blinded to it. So for most of us, it is this, this feeling that our identity is so connected to what we are used to that we put up resistance to it. It is very difficult to apply this in our lives, and that's why we need each other. That's why we need the proclamation of God's Word. We need relief. We need joy. We need deep joy in a world that doesn't work, in a life that doesn't work, in possessions that don't work, in identity-seeking that doesn't work. We need what God has said for us. And so much of the Christian life is, being, is the remembering process of what we need. And, and uh, so it's, it's not that we need something like, let me put it this way. This, this comes from Scotty Smith, but uh, there's, a, there's nothing more than the gospel. There's just more of the gospel. In Christian circles, we tend to be dismissive and trivialize the gospel, thinking it's the ABCs of Christian life. This comes from Tim Keller. The ABCs of Christian life, when it is the A through Z, it's, it's all about the gospel. The gospel isn't just one little slice of it, then we move on to something else. So this is what we need, okay? All of that to say, that is, I haven't even started yet. How about that? <laughs> Scary thing. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for these moments. Thank you that bubbling up inside me is excitement for um, for what you have to say to us. Lord, I uh, pray that I would, would just be a helper here in the process. I pray that I would listen well to the text and we could understand it more clearly. Uh, and ultimately, Lord, understand who you are for us right now in Jesus. Thank you for my friends. In our, our time together in Christ's name, Amen. Okay, so we have we have Paul. Um, it's a, it's a really beautiful thing that he's done for the Galatians. Uh, I hope that you you don't think he's hammering away at them and he's, he's mean for them. 
He's sharp in his arguments, but he's not, he's not being mean to them. What he's doing is he's very actually being very vulnerable to them. And what he's doing is that these are people who he was part of the, the planting of these churches. He was key to making these churches happen in this region called Galatia. Uh, some time has gone by, and then they have been influenced by legalism people, legalists. People who come along and have said, Jesus is good, no doubt. You need Jesus to get to heaven, but you need this to make you acceptable to God. You need this to maintain God's approval of you. Listen to that. You need this to maintain God's approval of you. Now, we can intersect with that thought right there. We're doing probably something that we are in our in our daily lives where we sense or feel this probably helps God like me more. If I do this, I'm maintaining his approval of me. That's not true. But we think that way. The Galatians jumped on it when they heard there was a tangible something they could be doing, application of Jewish law. Uh, they jumped on it, and they, uh, Galatians 1.6, quickly deserted the gospel. Okay, that's the situation. Now what Paul's doing is he is now setting up an argument to try and get them back to Christ. The, the picture on the cover of your worship folder Cut that out, put it on your refrigerator, your metropolitan refrigerator art. Um, put that uh, in your Bible. I would encourage you. That is the image I would love for you to have as you go through your week. It's Galatians is, is God's inspired word to bring the Galatians back to wrapping their arms around the cross. Only the cross, nothing else. So, what he does is he sets up argument after argument after argument. Chapter 1, 2, and 3. Uh, and he, particularly chapters 1 and 2, he's setting up a personal how does he live in relationship to the law of God because they're confused about it. And he is helping them with this beautiful intimacy that God intends for the Christian life. Not, not a burdensome life, not a life of, of sheer duty and laboring under guilt and shame under the law. He's saying, he's providing arguments for what is your relationship to the law. And it can be summarized beautifully in Galatians 2.20. Here's how it works, and he's personalizing this. I, in my relationship to the law, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. That's my relationship. I am crucified with Christ. The law now no longer has demands on me. I'm out from under its, its, its shame and guilt. I'm crucified with Christ, and it is now no longer I who live, but Christ, listen to this intimacy, who lives in me. Now that's really different than just law-keeping. That's really different than religion. That's beautiful. That is a beautiful, personal revelation of how the Christian life is to function. I now no longer live. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. It's now uh, 
And I now, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, there are some subtle ways in the Christian life where we deny the faith alone or grace alone principle. So I want you to probably the sermon in the sentence. Grace alone is what we must maintain. And we're going to get into the Galatians 4, 1 through 7. But grace alone principle. Usually, uh, it comes in a couple, a couple of different ways. One way would be this. It's uh, statements like, um, well, salvation is free, but it costs you everything. Whoa. What does that mean? That doesn't sound free. That sounds like a deal. That sounds like a, I'm in a partnership here. I've got to keep up my end of it. That sounds like I'm not quite free from being a slave. I'm not really a child of God. I'm still employed. <laughs> I'm still working around the house. I don't, I don't own this place yet. Does that make sense? It's free, but it's going to cost you everything. Well, we do want to follow Jesus, and yes, there is a cost to following him. But those two things are not linked to our approval with God. Those two things are not linked to our maintaining God's love for us. Does that make sense? Another area for the Christian today is this idea that are you fully surrendered? Are you really surrendered? Are you super surrendered? Did you go to the surrender retreat? Have you been to the Surrender Conference? Did you read the Surrender Book? Are you surrendered? Yes, I'm surrendered. Are you sure? And there's a continual inward look. Is, is, are you enough? Denying. The point is not the amount of your faith. Jesus says this in multiple different ways. The point isn't the amount of your faith. The point is what faith does. So we could even be talking about faith and being surrendered and believing and still get and get that wrong. Are you all track with me? Don't, don't fall into despair. I'm here to help. <laughs> you see, we can have this focus on ourselves. If we would just be enough, then God could receive us. And the answer is, no, I'm not enough. Receive me. This is these are the people who Jesus encountered continually. Not the religious, not the righteous, the unrighteous, the people who needed a doctor. They were coming saying, I don't have, it's not in me, and I'm not even sure I have enough faith. I'm not even sure you should be talking to me. I am messed up. I, I can't ever qualify for the kingdom. And Jesus says, you're in. Now there's something in us that says it can't be that easy. I mean, that's just ain't right. And there's a little legalism that say, well, wait a minute now. It's been hard for me to walk this line. How did they get in here? Now we get all the other kinds of parables. Jesus talking to the righteous people. Hey, you can't be hiring workers. Remember the, the, the workers in the vineyard? And the guy who hires them, right? One guy to get a certain wage. All day long, they're going to work in the vineyard for a certain wage, right? They agree. And then the, the vineyard owner, what does he do? He hires more people and more people throughout the day. And some people only work about an hour, and they get paid the same wage as who? The guys who work the whole day. And then the uh, the union shows up. <laughs> and says, hey, you can't do this. 
you can't be hiring a guy at 4 o'clock and have him quit at 5 and pay him a whole day's wage. He says, I own the, the owner says, I own the place. Who are you? I can make any qualification I want. It has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with me. Well, the self-righteous don't like that talk. Because they are accumulating a record. A record that makes God their debtor. They're working the deal. Now, here's another area you can tell when now you're working like this, because this is, this is how I am. Uh, it's, you know, being a pastor, you're always doing good things. Right? So, I mean, that, you can earn your way to heaven. Okay? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll pray for you guys. <laughs> so, the hard thing is, uh, Realizing that even if you're in the world of religion, none of your good things amount to anything that God will recognize. It's all Isaiah's filthy rag Very difficult for the righteous to give up their righteousness. Why did Jesus, why did they kill Jesus? He told them they didn't have any righteousness. Now, you can tell when you are, and this is me, when you're working on a God is my debtor righteousness basis. Here's how it works. When you are afflicted and you are in pain, you're experiencing something you do not want, a trial, a difficulty, something comes your way, and inside you, there's a bitterness that rises up toward God. And you, you don't ever say this out loud. You may not tell your spouse this, but inside you go, man, and you, you don't know what to say. You couldn't formulate a prayer, but something is wrong with God and His management of this world. Something's not right. I shouldn't experience this because I am one who has done so much good. And then you can feel and sense the, the foundation of your love of your life. I say all this because I am chasing after your joy as Paul chased after Galatians' joy. It is, we are to be recklessly abandoning our forms of righteousness. You will not be over this. You will continue this pattern in life. It's kind of how we are. And uh, that's why we need each other. That's why we need preaching. That's why we need, we need life in the church because we will move into various forms of, of righteousness-seeking, comfort-seeking, pleasure-seeking, Denying the cross. Uh, so, uh, so what Paul does in Galatians 4, uh, he sets up his second example, he's used this before in Galatians 3, of the idea of, of a child growing up under a tutor. A child growing up under a tutor. So it's an instructor who's been brought up, this was done in the, in the Roman, Greco-Roman church uh, homes, and that is that a child would be brought in, uh, a tutor would be brought in, and instruction will be given. And the child is always under that instruction. They're not acting like someone who is an adult. They're always being told, do this, don't do that, start this, don't stop that. They're always under instruction. Okay? The illustration is that is what it is like to be under the law. That's what it's like to be under the law. So look with me in Galatians 4. 
things that were in place before Jesus was born. Those are good insights. But according to God's schedule in redemptive history, the birth of Jesus was right on time. Verse 5, when the fullness of time had come, this is contrasted with the time of law enslavement. What is this fullness of time going to do? What's it going to bring for us? Christ is born. God sent forth his son. God so loved the world that he sent his son. He's on this mission of mercy. He's coming in, descending, coming down to the earth. And what's his purpose? Born of a woman, that means he's fully human. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons to redeem us out of enslavement, to cause us to grow up, to no longer be under that tutor who's constantly saying, you didn't do this enough. You can't can't say that. You shouldn't do this. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. The fullness of time means that we now, through Jesus, can grow up. And we live as sons and daughters of the King. We are heirs of the mansion. We are not treated as slaves. We are children of God. We should enter into that freedom. The freedom of meaning that we have access to the Father. We are now no longer viewing the Father as remote and distant, but He is close and intimate. Now, many, many Christians, and this is very, very true, many Christians um, have about half the gospel correct. You ask them, what did Jesus do for you? And they will say, he died on the cross for my sins. This is a, a, a good response. It's a, it's a correct response, but it's about half the gospel. Uh, when we have children profess faith here, seven-year-old child can profess faith here, and I walk them through why Jesus lived a perfect life. Many people have asked them, why did Jesus live his life? A lot of the feedback is, well, he needed to teach good things. He didn't teach good things. He taught amazing things. What else? Well, he he healed people. He did heal people. What else did he do? He did miracles. Certainly did miracles. How do those things relate to your salvation? You are under the law, and you're born in Adam, and you you're born in this world, and the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's trouble. And Romans 3.23 says that the wage of sin is what? Death. And the law is after you. The law is one of the, the law is bearing in on you, and it is impressing upon you that you are a sinner, and you must pr- produce either two things. Either righteousness or death. The waste of sin is death. Do you have righteousness? And do you have a death? And in Jesus, we have both. Why did Jesus live his life? He lived those 33 years or so. He lived them, Galatians 4.4 tells us, under the what? 
under the law in order to redeem those who are under the law. He lived his life perfectly under God's law every day. And he did that not for himself. He, in a sense, gained righteousness, so he had no need for it in himself. He gained righteousness for you. His obedience is transferred to you. He was to be rewarded for his obedience. And uh, at least on this earth, his reward on a human level was to be crucified. Of course, he will be rewarded ultimately. Even now, he's King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's, a, he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He's begun to reign. His kingdom has begun in that sense. But he did all this to redeem you from out from under the law and all its stipulations. You're no longer a child. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're no longer a child being corrected and disciplined and told you are not enough under the law. Let me ask you. Are you living like this? Are you head up high? Not arrogant. Not haughty. I'm I'm, I'm redeemed. The law can say nothing about me. The law does not define me. My performance does not define me. My obedience as a Christian does not define me. None of these things are me. I am wearing the righteousness of Jesus like a coat. Jesus makes me beautiful. Jesus makes me lovely. He is the one. I have really nothing to, to defend in and of myself. I abandon all that righteousness because this righteousness, Romans 3.20 says, it's the righteousness of God. Jesus is God. Look at his love. Think of his kindness. What Jesus was to be rewarded with, the blessing of the Father for obeying. You get by sheer simple faith in him. This is the good news. The good news is that you have an answer to the law. If the law were to say, son of Adam, daughter of Adam, where's your righteousness? How dare you appear before my court and not have righteousness? And you can say, I have it. Perfectly supplied to me through Jesus Christ. Then the law can say to you, well, very clever. Very, very clever. But you are a sinner. Having violated the first half of the law and the second half of the law, having hatred in your heart to God, you are a sinner before this court. And this law requires sinners to die. Where's your God? You say what? Jesus died for I have met the requirements of this law. Now, this is just, this is really just, again, this is, there's no, nothing more than the gospel. There's more of the gospel. Now, we're just getting more of the gospel here. Ready? Here it is. Now what? That's our relationship to the law. Let's just put that in a drawer. Now what we got? 
Spirit into you. To so connect you to the Father. And here's where it goes, and I'm going to wrap it up here. To redeem those under the law. And my Bible has a comma. And then it keeps going. Now we should all rejoice. Galatians keeps going. That we might, what might happen? Receive adoption as sons. There are many, many Christians who stop at the legal truth, legal stuff. I've forgiven my sins. They may not understand why Jesus lived a perfect life and not righteous and stuff, but they just don't stop there. They go on to other stuff. I looked at a Christian, I looked at a Christian book newsletter this last week, and uh, they're selling John Wooden's secrets to team building. Anybody concerned? Is that anything related to Galatians? John Wooden was a basketball coach. We have Christian wholesale book distributors selling coaching secrets. I'm just, folks, if you're a coach, maybe that's important, okay? But uh, we're not going to find the gospel at the foul line, okay? So, I mean, you're going to find, you know, I, I don't know, I'm just perplexed. So, to receive adoption as sons, and now we have this beautiful doctrine of adoption. And because you are, notice the tense, it's not that you are becoming, when you get your act together, when you obey enough, when you maintain enough, when you get your theology straight. Ooh, about that? And you have theological righteousness. Your sheer, simple faith. Not an incredibly surrendered faith, not a radically, you know, just fall apart faith, and God, am I worthy of you faith? It's just this sheer faith in Jesus. I believe I need you. All of this happens. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. That beautiful phrase. The same Spirit that was functioning in Jesus when He called upon the Father, had intimate relationship with the Father. The Father could do no wrong. The Father never failed Him, except when He had the experience on the cross, right? As a human being. In other words, His deep I don't want to impress it to say that God failed him on the cross. Okay? I just want to say his experience of it is, where are you? This deep interior intimacy, the Bible is saying it is accessible to us. It is something the Spirit of God has done in us. That's how connected you are to God. <clears throat> and you will never improve upon that by having 195 quiet times. You'll never improve upon that by going to some conference, by going to some seminary, by going, you'll never improve upon that. This is your status. And what does the Spirit do in us to assure us that it's really, really true? The Spirit cries. The Spirit talks. The Spirit communicates. The Spirit speaks to us as sons and daughters. It's true. It's true. All of this, all of these epistles, all they're really saying, all they're really saying is this. It's true. It's true. It's true. 
you're in the process of becoming like Jesus. Who cried out, Abba, Father. This is an Aramaic, an Aramaic phrase. It was a very intimate term that Jesus used. And it was so important that actually the, the translation here is that Paul's explaining what this meant to a non-Aramaic Aramaic audience. Abba, intimacy, closeness, possessions, your heir. Your father owns the whole place. Your father owns this world. You walk these sidewalks, you walk these streets. This is your father's world. Yes, there's a, a usurper named Satan. Yes, there's evil in this world. But you have the same spirit within you as it was in Christ who walked with confidence, who had authority over the spiritual dark world. This same spirit is in you crying, Abba, Father. Crying, Abba, Father. So what are we after in this series? A deep connection to the joy of knowing God's our Father. That's it. A deep connection. Well, we're working out this. We're casting off all forms of righteousness. Admitting our great need and then enjoying this beautiful status of sonship that God has granted us. We are heirs. This is so different than law keeping. This is so different than righteousness seeking. This is so different than trying to establish something that works for your life. This is the foundation of our identity. Not easy to remember, but vital for our joy. We're in this together, everybody. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these moments.